you. This is Cruise Radio Rewind. Real reviews from real cruisers. Welcome to this week's episode of Cruise Radio Rewind. It's going to be all things Hurricane Dorian today. So we're going to check in with Action News meteorologist Greg D to tell us why the hurricane just stopped on top of Grand Bahama Island the way it did. Uh, Richard is going to give us an update on the cruise line private destinations. Sherry will tell us what each cruise line is doing in order to help out the residents of the Bahamas. Also some sound bites from the U.S. Coast Guard and a guest who was on Symphony of the Seas when their cruise got extended and kind of a behind the scenes look to see how it all played out uh, when an event like this happens while you're at sea. So we're going to jump to Action News meteorologist Greg D. first. Greg, first off, welcome to the show. What made Hurricane Dorian just stop on top of Grand Bahama Island the way it did for like 30 hours? Yeah, Dorian was a really tough storm. Many folks did not believe the storm would stop before it got to Florida. So here's how it works. Hurricanes don't actually move on their own. They're part of a larger flow. Uh, Think of a leaf floating on a stream. It kind of follows wherever the water takes it. Well, in Dorian's case, that stream of moving air basically was coming to an end, and it basically just ejected the hurricane out of that flow and stopped it right ahead of Florida. And Dorian kind of hung out until the next piece of energy moved in. That was a cold front to move it up to the north. So uh, that's what caused it to slow down, and uh, that's what caused the big turn up to the north. A lot of us have seen the charts of the storm surge during Dorian, where there was almost no land left at some points. What makes the storm surge happen in a storm like this? Storm surge in a hurricane is a very interesting thing, and it's really something no one should ever see, and that's because it is extremely dangerous. It's caused by two things. Number one, in a small way, it is caused by the drop in pressure at the center of the storm. actually causes the sea level to rise around the eye. But the main reason why you see that water rise is the wind. Wind moves water. Uh, You can easily spill a little bit of water on a table and blow it off the table with your breath. Well, the hurricane can do that with the air. It can gather the water and move it. And a little pile of it follows the storm to the right of the eye. And when the storm gets to shore, that water moves along with it. In some cases, like in the case of Dorian, that rise in sea level could be more than 20 feet. How high can these seas get during a hurricane? I mean, like, do you have any indication of how high they got during Dorian? Doug, the seas or the waves, as we would call them as meteorologists out around the hurricane, really can be quite high. I can remember some instances of hurricanes producing 60 to 90 foot waves near their center of circulation as they moved by. We can measure those with buoys. Now, how far those extend away from the center really depends on the storm. In a storm like Dorian, which was a smaller, more compact system, obviously the waves would be closer to the center. But if you remember Irma a couple of years ago, a huge hurricane, the wind stretched over hundreds of miles. Well, those waves extended much farther away from the center. ABC Action News meteorologist Greg D. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg D-E-E Weather. Greg, as always, very grateful. Thank you again. Thanks, Doug. The United States Coast Guard had a media briefing down in Tampa over the weekend explaining what hurdles they were experiencing getting into the Bahamas. Play track five. Some of our major hurdles, obviously, is just getting into areas. As, you can, as we talked about yesterday, the runways are unusable. We need the water to recede. We need to get inspections of the runway. And actually, one of our biggest hurdles that we'd like to get the message out on is, while I know everyone wants to get in there and help, Uh, Right now, we'd like people who are not in one of the designated organizations providing relief and search and rescue efforts to to stay away because they're endangering some of those efforts and uh, they're going to put their own lives and the lives of those trying to provide assistance at risk. 
And on the subject of relief and how the cruise lines are helping the residents of Bahamas get back up and running again and how they're doing their part to help out is Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Hey, Sherry. Hi, Doug. So what are the cruise lines doing? Well, cruise lines, both large and small, are stepping up to the plate and they are pledging millions of dollars to the Bahamas, of course, to help in the relief efforts after what we've been talking about, Hurricane Dorian. So first on the list is Little Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line. Now, they're based in Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with this, it's a small two-ship fleet, and it's located only 86 miles from Grand Bahama Island and the Port of Freeport. So the cruise line has already sent one of their ships, the Grand Celebration. It went to Freeport, loaded with food, water, and supplies. Medical teams, first responders, and volunteers were also brought in to help. Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line is in the process of offering free transportation from Florida to the Bahamas for Bahamians who were stranded in the U.S. Those in the Bahamas can also have free transportation to South Florida as long as they have proper documentation to enter the United States. The cruise line has brought over 1,100 evacuees to South Florida. And then Carnival Corporation has said it will donate $1 million through their Carnival Foundation, which covers all of its nine brands. Owners Mickey Arison and his wife Madeline will also donate $1 million from their own family foundation. So working with Tropical Shipping, Carnival has arranged to uh, accept and send donated supplies from the public. If you're wondering where you can send donations, uh, it will be located on Cruise Radio. Uh, Royal Caribbean and Celebrity, we're going to cover those a little bit because Royal Caribbean said they will donate $1 million and, like the other cruise lines, send humanitarian aid and much-needed supplies, in addition to things like drinking water, uh, cleaning supplies, and, of course, generators. Royal Caribbean will also bring prepared meals to Freeport. Their smaller ship, Empress of the Seas, has already made a much-needed food delivery. And this part, this one really got to me a little bit. On September 6th, Celebrity Equinox veered off its intended Caribbean itinerary and instead set sail for Freeport. So while the kitchen crew all pitched in and worked overtime to prepare 10,000 sandwiches to bring ashore, Passengers pitched in to help package up the meals. Wow. Uh, guests donated clothing, 1,200 pounds of chicken, and over 10,000 water bottles were also delivered. And that was by using local boats that would come to pick it up and also the ship's tenders. So moving along, Disney stated that they will donate over $1 million to relief agencies that are set up as nonprofits. Norwegian Cruise Line will also chip in a million dollars in relief aid. One of their largest ships, Norwegian Breakaway, has already brought relief supplies to the Bahamas. And MSC Cruises, who was actually scheduled to open a new marine park destination in the Bahamas uh, later this year, will use their cargo ships to bring rebuilding supplies and aid to the Bahamas. I have to say, kudos to Celebrity Cruises, Celebrity Equinox. You said they diverted course and headed straight to Freeport when they could. Props to them and everyone who volunteered to help make sandwiches and donate the clothes off their back. Like, that's, yeah, that gave me goosebumps when you said that. And the people who are armchair quarterbacking this online and saying that it's not fair that the cruise lines are inconveniencing guests by having them drop off relief supplies— 
These ships were doing humanitarian aid. If it was their parents on Grand Bahama Island, I'm sure it'd be a different story and they wouldn't be acting the way they are. Oh, I agree. I don't know how anybody could, you know, you're so privileged to be able to go on a cruise, first of all, and to be able to donate something back to the people that really need it, who in turn turn around to make sure that you have a good vacation when you visit their island. Yeah, it's just, it, this is also heartbreaking. And, and uh, you know, what else can we say? We've been talking with Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. This is only the beginning of a lot of news that will be coming out of the Northern Bahamas, and we'll keep you all up to date on Cruise Radio News. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you, Doug. You may have heard this next soundbite on last week's episode of Cruise Radio, and it's basically me confirming that you can still purchase trip insurance if the hurricane is not named yet. Okay, so I have a question because you said the devil is in the details. So if the National Hurricane Center is tracking a low pressure system or an invest, you could still buy travel insurance. Does that make sense because the storm isn't officially named yet? Yes, it makes perfect sense. If they're tracking bad weather and they know about bad weather, but they haven't named a hurricane yet, you're still covered if you buy insurance before they actually name it. But when they give it a name, they know it has a trajectory, you know, it has an intensity. Uh, they understand it's, it's a hurricane and they've defined it as a hurricane and given it a name. And the insurance companies actually um, go to the website and find out the dates on when the hurricanes are named, and that's when they figure out whether or not there's coverage for a named hurricane or not. So the claims departments are actually pulling the data straight from um, National Weather Service. That was Dan Skilkin from TripInsurance.com. Now to get a status update on the cruise line private islands, contributor Richard Sims is standing by. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Let's start with the hardest hit private islands. I think this is a really good topic because it's an incredibly popular question right now. You know, whether you look on the the various websites, when you look in message boards, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere, people want to know, you know, not only is my ship going to the island, but these islands are so loved that even people who don't have trips planned want to know, you know, did they come through it okay? Did they survive? Because there's just, these are consistently ranked as some of the most popular destinations on the itineraries that they're featured with. Before we get into each island, I think it's important to say that we can't consider the Bahamas as one destination. Oh, very much so. You know, you see people asking all the time, "Uh uh-oh, the Bahamas were hit. Does that mean my cruise is is kaput? No, not necessarily, because the Bahamas cover about 300 miles end to end. So, you know, while the path of a hurricane is often very wide and it's certainly very, very destructive, there are huge amounts of that space that go completely untouched, you know, that or maybe they had some wind or maybe they had some rain, but they weren't damaged the way other parts were. Yes, we're seeing terrible, terrible footage of some of the locations where the hurricane just sort of sat and created mass chaos for hours and hours and hours. And we're hearing the reports of damage and death. But you have to remember that that is a relatively small part of the Bahamas. That's not to not to downplay the damage done or the loss of life, but it's just to say, no, it doesn't automatically mean that your trip is going to be impacted. So the three islands that were closest to Grand Bahama Island where the storm stalled, Castaway Key, Coco Key, and Norwegian's Great Stirrup Key. What are the status on those three? Well, let's start with Disney because that is the one that took the most heat. Because you might recall that 
Disney made the decision to leave some of the people who live and work on their private island. Uh, they decided to leave them there for the duration of the storm. And that, you know, made some people... I guess they were, you know, perhaps worried about them. Turns out there was a storm shelter there. It's not like they just sort of like left them on the beach to hang out. There is a storm shelter there. They got through perfectly fine. There was no problems. The island itself sustained very, very minimal damage, mostly the kind of thing you would expect to see in high winds. They should open soon. They're just waiting for the results of surveys. Whenever a storm goes through, one of the things that the islands have to check for is if damage was done beneath the surface of the water. We think of the damage on the actual island, but they also need to check the channels that the ships use to come in, whether it's a ship that's going to tender or whether it's a ship that's actually going to dock. That's that's really important because you've got to make sure your ship's not going to, you know, scrape the bottom and just as importantly, do environmental damage to the various reefs and things in the area. And then there are islands that are literally next-door neighbors, Great Stirrup Key and Perfect Day at Coco Key. What are the status on those two? It's funny. I didn't realize how close they actually are until I was on Great Stirrup Key during one of my Norwegian sailings, and I went for a walk. I looked across, and you can see perfect day right across the water. If you're a good swimmer, you could probably swim from one to the other. I don't recommend that, but you probably could. So they are very close. Now, what's interesting is Royal Caribbean very quickly gave us an update on uh, their island, which was the one I was most worried about, to be honest, because they just finished this massive renovation and they've got those big you know, water slides that extend up into the sky and, and you could just see a bad hurricane coming through and doing some severe damage there. But apparently they came through really well. They didn't seem to have much damage. They're doing the same thing. They're doing some surveying just to make sure that everything's okay. And then they actually were able to um, open themselves up on Saturday. They opened uh, Saturday morning and welcomed people back. And people on uh, various social media sites were reporting that there was no damage at all really noticeable. On the other hand, we don't really know about Great Stirrup Key because even though it's right across the way, and we sort of assume that there wasn't any major damage, they've also been doing renovations on that island. They've been putting in the zip lines and the the new lighthouse and things like that. Norwegian hasn't issued a statement other than to say that they're kind of taking a looking, look at it, uh, surveying, seeing what damage was done. I'm very hopeful because they are literally so close to Perfect Day at Coco Cay that they'll be fine, but we haven't yet heard. I got a statement from Norwegian Cruise Line on Friday evening, and it said, we are still assessing the island. We will provide you with an update as soon as we can, which tells me, yeah, still check in probably the Anchorage area and I guess the buildings around the island. If you've been to Great Stirrup Key, you tender. Uh, It is not an island where you port, you tender. And the channel that you come through is very narrow in spots. Mm -hmm. So I could see where they would want to really make sure that, you know, there was no damage to that and that the tender boats, which are, you know, fairly large, will be able to come in and out without any problem. But I see no reason to think that within a week or two, they won't, if not sooner, they won't be welcoming guests back. And then we have the two Carnival Corporation spots, Half Moon and Princess K. Anything on this? They seem to be okay as well. They're doing, as with the other islands, they're doing some surveying, you know, probably some minor repairs. You can imagine that there's some roof damage and things like that. And I sort of always imagine that the trees take some some heat in these situations. Mm-hmm. But they, sh- they are going to reopen on September 12th, I believe. 
And I'll also mention that MSC Cruises upcoming Ocean Key Reserve, it's actually located 60 miles off the coast of Miami, so not really in the path. But I was curious, so I shot them an email, and they told me, fortunately, Ocean Key is located away from the area that was the hardest hit. And according to our webcam images, the island has not sustained any noteworthy damage. A full assessment of this site is being conducted this week. It will be resuming work in the coming days. Yeah, they're expected to open that up in November. It was good to hear that they've had no no real damage, especially since uh, they are, you know, kind of in that questionable area. But it's also to bring things right back full circle again. It goes to show that, you know, just because you say that an area uh, it was hit by a hurricane. It doesn't mean the whole area was, you know, it's sort of like saying something bad happened in New York city. New York city is a big place. And mm-hmm. so something bad may have happened in Chelsea, but that doesn't mean that it's going to have an impact on the East village. It's sort of the same thing when you look at the Bahamas. I know it's still super early, but any word on Freeport? I think that depends on your definition of closed. There are already ships which have made their way there. You know, ships are going and dropping off supplies and various rescue efforts and taking rescue workers there. But we do know that Grand Bahamas Line will be returning on Friday the 13th. Hopefully that'll be a lucky day for them. They will be returning to Freeport for the first time since the storm on Friday the 13th. You know, as far as the rest of the lines go, we will get a better idea as ships begin visiting and as we begin finding out how much damage was done to the main tourist areas. Because as we've seen with hurricanes in the past, there's a really symbiotic relationship between the cruise lines and the islands. The islands rely on the cruise lines for tourism dollars. And the cruise lines, of course, need to have someplace to take the passengers that they want to go. So one of the first things that ends up happening is those areas where uh, the cruise ships dock and the immediately surrounding area they tend to get fixed up pretty quickly because, you know, you want to have those areas ready to welcome guests back. And that may sound, you know, self-serving. It may sound, it may not quite sound like it makes sense. But when you think about it, given the fact that they need that money, they need the tourist money, they don't want the ships bypassing it because the, because people aren't getting off. It actually does make a lot of sense that both the cruise lines and the islands would work together to get those tourist centers up and running as quickly as possible. I can speak on this from being on one of the first cruise ships back to St. Thomas after Hurricane Irma pretty much shut it down. Two months later, I returned and I took a tour. I had breakfast and lunch on the island and I was just doing my part to contribute in everywhere we went, whether it be from a coffee shop to the barbecue place or at the very top of the island. I forgot what it's called right now. Everyone was just so thankful. Even the tour guide was just very grateful ships were coming back and that people stayed the course and kept their vacation. Yeah, I had that same experience. I was in St. Thomas a while after you were, and there were still things that weren't working. For example, the very famous um, sky ride up to Paradise Point was still down because of damage from the hurricane. And if you went too far beyond, you know, those those two main port areas, there was, you know, there was very obvious damage. But the main port areas, they had done a really good job of of getting it up and running. And when you talked to locals, that was something that they, you know, were very grateful for. They were very expressive of how important it was for people who live outside the ports that the port area was being fixed so that money was coming back into the local economy. Been talking with contributor Richard Sims. Thanks for taking the time this evening. Always glad.
Crystal is on the line. She just returned from Symphony of the Seas. Her three-night cruise got extended to a four-night cruise. Crystal, you knew this storm was coming before you came down to Florida. So were you like, screw it, we're going to try to get on this ship regardless? Yeah, if it was leaving, we were on it. But did you have any concerns? Because you were flying down from Chicago. Our only concern, and my husband and I, we lived in Galveston for, mm-hmm. you know, seven or eight years. We've evacuated from two hurricanes. Like, we, we get the hurricane, the pre-hurricane buzz. Like, we were yeah. all, we were in full, like, hurricane prep contingency plan mode. And we said, you know what? Worst case, we fly down. Our, cr- our cruise is canceled. We rent a, a car one way, and we make it a road trip weekend instead of a cruise weekend. That's a good backup plan there. I'm curious how this works because a lot of people prepay gratuities and the drink package and the cruise extras like Wi-Fi. So when the cruise is extended, do you pay out of pocket anymore? They said that um, if you had bought before, if before the trip had been extended, you had bought the um, Wi-Fi package or the drink package, that would be extended for free. Uh, I think on like night two, a form appeared in our stateroom asking if you would add on the extra day of gratuities. You had to fill out this form and put it into guest services, which of course we what we did because I mean, they're still working. Mm-hmm. You know, the crew are still working. So we weren't going to begrudge them. Did you get travel insurance for this cruise? We did. I mean, it's Labor Day weekend in Miami. Yeah. We definitely did. Did you have to file a claim at all? Oh, we did not. What was really interesting was that I called the um, the insurance company because I wanted to know if I was going to be charged this $200 per person change fee, would that be covered? And what the woman told me was really interesting is that, yes, if we if we opted to use the, the travel insurance to cover it, we could. But then if anything were to happen on the cruise, the insurance policy had already been used and it would not cover anything that happened on the cruise. Huh. The other caveat was so they were so. She also mentioned to me, you know, she offered to extend the trip insurance one more day till the 4th for no additional charge. And she explained that if we didn't do that, when we got back, and then let's say that the there was a trip delay or whatever, or when we got back and we needed to change, if we needed to change our flight because of a trip extension, if we didn't change to the 4th and we kept it on the 3rd, when we got back on the 4th, our trip insurance was done. So we wouldn't be able to use it. The devil's in the details. They always say that about travel insurance policies. I guess it makes sense, though. If you buy the policy for a week, it's only going to last for a week. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one thing I would say to someone. If you're ever on a ship and your trip is extended, because, you know, often they like open up the phone lines and mm-hmm. open up Wi-Fi and whatnot for people to make arrangements. One of the arrangements I would do is call your trip insurance company and extend your trip insurance. Did you hear anything about like the, if you had to just stay at sea for, let's say the three or four days, could you actually come back without touching a foreign port? Yeah, I was curious about that because especially being, you know, on a ship like Symphony where there's so much to do, mm-hmm. I I hadn't been asking around. I had posted a couple of questions on social media, even tried to, you know, message Royal Caribbean. Nobody gave me a good answer. So I went to one of the meet and greet with uh, with um, some of the ship's officers um, and the hotel manager was there. And so I asked him if the Jones Act applies in the case of weather. And he said, no, 
that if it was a bad storm and they just needed to go and, you know, float around for a couple of days, um, they could do that without penalty. Crystal, thank you for your willingness to share your experience from a cruiser's point of view of sailing when Hurricane Dorian was going on. I sure do appreciate it. I also would like to get a review from you of Symphony of the Seas, but I'll email you about that later for an episode of Cruise Radio. Thanks again. I sure appreciate you. You're welcome. It was great. And we had a great trip. That'll do it for this episode of Cruise Radio Rewind. A big thank you to everyone behind the scenes who helped me put this one out because I could not do it alone. Also, a public thank you to Richard Sims. So how this works is when there's an itinerary change, the cruise line sends me an email to publish it on cruiseradio.net. And you think they send about eight to could be 10 a day times that by five or six, seven cruise lines. You're just getting bombarded with itinerary changes alone. And I was just constantly hitting forward from my iPhone to Richard because my travel day was about 18 hours from Anchorage back here to Jacksonville. And Richard was updating the website and he didn't skip a beat. Richard, love you, man. Also thinking about our friends up in Halifax, Nova Scotia in Canada. The storm is still spinning around. Hurricane Dorian creeping over Halifax right now. Still blowing at 100 miles an hour. Amazing. It's, it's had the strength for this long. But Vicky, Craig up there in Canada, let us know you're safe. We're thinking about you. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you on Thursday.